Welcome to our third leader interview for Cold, in our Cold Chain Live series. My name is Shane Brennan and I'm the Chief Executive of the Cold Chain Federation and I'm joined today by Paul Jackson who is the Managing Director of Chilton Distribution and somebody who is very well known throughout the sort of UK Cold Chain uh, network. Welcome to the welcome to Cold Chain Live Paul. Morning Shane, how are you doing? I'm really good thanks, I'm really good and thanks so much for doing this. Um, as I say, you know, you're someone who's been in the UK cold chain for, for a long time. Can you tell us a little bit of the story of, of how you got into cold chain and how, how your career has gone working within it? Yes, yeah, so uh, I started Chilton Cold Storage. I was previously working for a, a company manufacturing ice, uh, ice cubes in, in the late 80s, early 90s. I started Chilton Cold Storage in 94, 93, 94. Uh, and I really fell into it by default. Uh, we was distributing a Japanese sushi product, which was brand new then, way back when. And I started the company with wanting to deliver a service to, to clients, uh, which I thought was missing in the industry. So there were a lot of big players around in that time. We were talking about the Christian Salvesons and people like that. Uh, and they were very large scale. So I wanted to appeal to uh, a smaller delivery, more personalized service. So I started that in 94 with a small chamber uh, freezer, which was probably at 30 pallets, which seems ridiculous to, to, to say that now, and one small van, and it all started from there. And through the service model, we gradually got more and more clients and bigger clients, and we moved to bigger premises, uh, progressing through through the 90s into the year 2000. Uh, we had um, a tie-up with a, an old company, Eisman International, which were a German home delivery service. You know, how apt would that be now? Um, but it was very new at the time. We took uh, residency in 50% of their cold store at Corbury, which was a, a big step for us because that took us to, wow, 1,500 pallets of frozen space. And to that, we added 15 courier vans. We then managed to secure our own site uh, back over in Cambridgeshire because we've been a bit uh, a bit nomadic in, in our time. You know, we started in St. Neers, we moved to Wellingborough, Corby, so we've We've been around, we've been around a few different locations um, and it culminated in us finishing up in Peterborough where ironically we uh, took a long leasehold interest in a former Christian Salverson uh, property. So it sort of went full circle really. They were going back to the uh, the 80s, they were the first company to inv invent this word logistics. You know, for once in a one time out that you could have one truck turn up with some old brands on it that, you know, probably some of them are still not going. You had Alveston Kitchen, uh, everything was on one truck. So they invented this consolidation mode that, that we all use today. So ironically, yeah, we ended up um, long-term lease sold, uh, Chilton uh, Coal Storage Group in 2006. Uh, and then fast forward to 2018, uh, there was a management buyout of Chilton Coal Storage Group. Uh, that resulted in me taking on uh, Chilton Distribution, which was the distribution arm of that company. Um, I moved to a site in Whittlesea. Uh, John Davison, my former partner in Chilton Cold Storage, now runs Chilton Cold Storage out of the uh, uh, the site in Peterborough. So that is a quick snapshot of history. So I've seen a load of changes, uh, a lot of things different uh, to what they used to be. Um, some for the some for the better, some for the worse. And like you say, you say the, the 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 mantra throughout has been the idea of service. You know, you've always operated at that sort of more premium end, uh, you know, premium equipment, premium sort of sort of customer service, sort of reliable kind of brand. That's sort of the Chilton mantra, isn't it? Yeah. So for me, I realised that I could not compete on, on price alone. Um, 
you know, we needed to offer something extra to the client. So what we wanted to be a one-stop shop. So we wanted to be for a manufacturer or, or, or uh, a company that supplies a product that we would be the one-stop shop. So in our time, we've, we've offered telesales services for, for those clients, um, complete warehouse management system and uh, delivery to end user. Uh, you know, even uh, some sort of merchandising, so putting products into freezers and things of that nature. So we like to do the fiddly things um, that some of the big boys don't want to do, can't do, is beyond their it is beyond their remit. You know, it was finding our market, and as you say, it was always based uh, based on service. So I have never taken a job on Shane that I can't do 100% because mm -hmm. there's no point for me. You know, life's too short to have the stress and trauma of. Uh, of doing a job that you know is beyond, you know, it's knowing what your key strengths are, and I think that's where we are as a company. We know what we're good at, um, we know what we can uh, what we can offer our clients, but we also know what we can't do, and where there are other companies um, that are better at doing that than what we actually are. And I think that's been a bit of a change in the industry. I touched on that earlier. That I think we need to come together now as a as an industry. So, for instance, if I got an inquiry that would suit one of the bigger people, uh, Lineage for instance, you know, I would now pick the phone up and, uh, and speak to uh, Tim or whomever at Lineage and say, look, I've got this inquiry, it's not for me, it's not my key strength, but it's right, it's right in your sweet spot. And I think that's what we need to get to, rather than trying to be everything to everybody, um, you know, I, I try and focus on what we're good at for individual specific customers, uh, you know, and personal service. I'm still here every day, you know, I'm on the phone every day, I'm quite involved every day. Um, and that, that, can be, that can be a tie, you know, because obviously when you're looking to bring people on in the business, everybody wants to speak to myself. Um, so, it, you know, it's not all uh, wonderful, but that, that's the model that we've worked on, Shane, yeah. Let's go on to our main topic. Um, it's been a fantastic, interesting conversation already, but let's talk about the, the theme of our cold chain live event, which is the idea about the future of transport and this idea of the road towards net zero. I know we're talking about 20, being carbon neutral as an economy by 2050, and transport generally is our problem within that. And within transport, large, heavy haulage is the biggest problem within it. Um, so that's really the theme of our, of our discussion. Can you... Uh, give me a sense from your sort of relatively close to the coalface perspective of this, how you sort of see that big picture challenge? How do you see your role as a business and as an individual in that? Okay, so I think fundamentally all of us, um, generally as hauliers, we are keen to um, invest in the technology, Shane, and embrace any technology, but the technology is not there. It's, it's as simple as that. I can't put it any other way, you know, so a, a big uh, Swedish manufacturer launched a truck yesterday, articulated tracked unit, um, 70 kilometres range. I can't even get to London from here. Um, so the whole model's got to change. So we're going to have to probably potentially have more RDCs, shorter end delivery legs, um, but it, that's a massive infrastructure investment. Um, we are all looking for an alternative. You know, we've tried biodiesel in the past. Um, we're now looking for the next thing. Battery technology, um, my opinion, it, it's not there. You know, battery cars, yes, but again, if you run a battery car, I do. Um, the the infrastructure is not there either yet. You know, it, it, it's a great, it is the future, but the infrastructure is not there. So for trucks, putting a battery into a truck at this moment in time, it is not going to not going to work. You've got to look at other technologies like hydrogen. Um, you know, that's used, I can see that that working. For me, 
I think potentially the future is hydrogen, mm-hmm. but we need, um, you know, the government need to invest in that with manufacturers and, you know, put in situations where it's beneficial for them to take those, uh, take the, the big jump into that and look at investing into that. Uh, and they're going to need help from the government, as are the hauliers going to need help from the government, because the thing that people tend to miss is there are hundreds of thousands of diesel tractor units in the UK. What's going to happen to all those after day one? Um, you know, is there going to be a scrappage scheme? So I think the industry in general wants to embrace uh, the green, you know, the net zero, but there's got to be more investment and research put into a sustainable uh, option for us to use. And if you go to the fridge side of it, which is uh, obviously key to our hearts, we've had conversations regarding the transport refrigeration units, the TIUs, and the red diesel that's going to be changing shortly, and we're, we're campaigning hard to try and change that levy. Um, the problem is with that, again, there's no real alternative. You know, we've done a lot of work, uh, us both, Shane, and involved some of the other big players, and looking at what difference does actually putting white diesel or red diesel and changing the duty, it makes no difference to air quality. In fact, uh, it can be proven that it actually worsens it because you're putting more of a load onto the tractor unit. So it's it's very difficult to invest or, or to, to give you a, this is where I want to be. Fundamentally, same old comes back to the same old thing. The techni- technology is going to cost more, you know? Embracing the new technologies in your DNA, you know, you get pretty excited about, about innovation around around vehicles and around trailer and equipment and you you know you've prided yourself on being able to invest in the best quality kit throughout your career and um, that's been one of your markers of, of your business so i don't think there's a, a resistance to innovation out there but there is a kind of pragmatism around what is actually really genuinely realistic and i think if we talk about things in terms of carbons carbon neutral today in 2020 we're effectively going to we're effectively alienating people because there isn't really a route to that that's immediately no. apparent but there is a marginal gain, isn't there, in, in, in all things? So, I mean, how do you approach that kind of marginal gain improvement in your efficiencies? And how do how do you balance? Is it as simple as if it's cheaper, you'll do it, or is, is there an environmental overlay to that? And how you see the? Yeah, those? I think it's a bit of both, Shane. So, for us, as you as you touched on, you know, all my fleet is Euro six, uh, Euro six compliant. You know, it was all Euro five when that was the compliance to be. You know, so again, all the hauliers have invested in that. The majority of the hauliers are Euro six. Um, because again, it's better for the environment. We're getting better fuel as, as operators, so you know it helps towards the profitability. So to answer your question, it's got to be a bit of both. You know, there has got to be a gain, um, or certainly a neutral impact on the commerciality aspect of it, and and something that does contribute to, to getting us to, to net zero. You know, so for inner city, I think uh, you know, so a lot of the inner city, what I call uh, curbside delivery. You know, I think we have vehicles that are potentially nearly there to be able to take that up, but it's getting to that inner city. So we have got to see uh, depots based on the periphery of the inner city, so M25, for instance, and then base some rigid sort of 18-ton vehicles there to do daily deliveries. But again, there's going to be more of those because of the less capacity. Um, is the road structure in, in London up for that? Well, Boris, bless his art, has invested in a lot of cycle lanes and cut the roads to even narrower. So is that going to work? Has that been thought through? So that bit of technology works. Um, you know, to, to do the inner city deliveries, it's the trunking stuff where we're, we're trunking stuff from one end of the country to the other or, or east to west. 
that's where the technology is currently not there. So if anybody brings something out, it does, if it's if it's ten thousand pound more, um, but you get a, a return on investment, Shane, then people are going to do that. You know, over a period of time, we're not looking to spend ten thousand pound more day one and get that back day two. You know, we are we have to invest in our industry. All the haulage companies are the same, but there has to be a return on that investment over a period. You know, be it three, five, or seven years. So to go back to the trailer market, you know, we all run trailers for five, seven, ten years even. You know, there needs and to spend fifty thousand pound or sixty thousand pound on a on a on a trailer with the latest refrigeration equipment. You know, we're looking for a return on investment over that period of time. So it's the same if we go to electricity or if we go to a different gas or whatever it may be. We need to be able to look at that over a longer period of time and say, okay, it might be ten thousand pound more because it, it could be less to run. So over the period of five years, it's going to be net net zero to us commercially as well as being net zero to the environment. So I think that's that's important. I think the Euro six the Euro six experience is the model, isn't it? A regulatory yes. change that's the same that creates a level playing field for everyone, but with a proper lead time, so businesses can incorporate that change into their business. Um, yeah. Another question for you, really, Paul, is is about kind of you know, let's assume that the different steps we go through on the road to net zero involve more expensive equipment, certainly as they are adopted into the market, and that obviously creates an investment challenge for hauliers, particularly third-party hauliers like like yourselves and, and even the bigger ones. Um, how do you think customers of our industry? Are going to put, do you think they'll put their money where their mouth is when it comes to some of the environmental claims and environmental ambitions they set for their own businesses to sort of invest in their supply chains? And how do you think we have that conversation? Yeah, I think fundamentally that is what's going to have to happen. And it will mean uh, an increase. Uh, and eventually that will be passed on to the, the consumer. Uh, there's no other way around it. I, I mean, for me personally, I think food is, is too cheap currently. Um, you know, the, the one thing that COVID's done is people are potentially less wasteful than what they were, although I think we're returning to where we were pre that. But yeah, I think fundamentally for us to deliver that and for our customers to be able to pass that on, it has to be it has to be paid for. So a good example of that is you touched on the Euro, uh, Euro 5, Euro 6, Euro 4 before that. So in London, for instance, there is only certain areas that you can go to. Uh, you have to have a Euro 6 compliant truck to do that actual, to actually physically to go into that, 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 that journey. So again, that is a that, that you're then getting into that is a premium uh, to be able to do. So if somebody's got a truck that's older or a less compliant truck, it can't make that journey. So again, people are going to have to start paying for um, what they want eventually. That's that's what it comes down to. You know, we cannot as an industry um, subsidise the net zero. That that is that's a big no-no. There will be no industry left. If that's what people are anticipating is going to happen, so you know, I think there is a conversation to be had, a sensible conversation to be had with suppliers, manufacturers, and end users. Um, you know, and it's going to take some uh, pricking of people's consciences, Shane. Really, that's what that's what it comes down to. You know, we all want to, we all want this um, blue sky and everything. So then, uh, that comes with cost. Um, but it's achievable. But it's it's going to cost money. And I and I think you know, it's never easy. Competition is fierce. Negotiations are hard. You know, there's you know the customers can be uh, and and generally everyone in the market can can play hardball with everything all the time in the short term. But the trend 
you know whether it's whether it's Brexit, whether it's COVID, whether it's net zero, these trends pushing are pushing the the reality reality check that this is not something that can be done cheap cheap and below cost forever. It has to value has to come into the industry. Yeah, and again in my time, I've seen uh, a load of companies fold, finish. You know, uh, so there's less choice for people out there now for for manufacturers, and I think we're now getting to a situation where uh, the people that are left out there, you know, not so many small companies now, some big, some big, big players out there. Um, you know, it's there's not that choice, and the realization is that we cannot keep um, driving the price down and driving these companies into into bankruptcy, basically, because the food has still got to get around. So if you go back to when COVID struck, there was a mass panic buying of everything. You know, and it wasn't just toilet rolls. There was a massive panic buying on, on food products. You couldn't get a truck loving the money. You know, my phone was ringing off the. Can you go to Spain to pick up oranges? Uh, and it was, it was like the price is right. It was name your price. You know, it, that lasted for two weeks. Yeah, um, yeah. But you know, because it was a brilliant two weeks, though, Paul. The great two weeks. Um, <laughs> no, no, utopia. But. So, for me, there is less choice. So you've got to every, partnership is the way forward. You know, an open-ended. We need this much to make this much to invest this much. You know, it's not rocket science. You know, people are not going to spend. Um, and if you sat down and we've had this conversation, so you know exactly what I'm going to say. If we sat down in front of some finances and say, okay, I'm going to buy ten trucks, ten trailers. So I'm looking at over a million pound investment there. And I'm going to get a net return of one or two percent if I'm. I might get three or four if I'm really smart. They would look at you in disbelief, you know, because the return on investment in our industry is not great. We know that. We moan about it, you know, because uh, why? Why wouldn't we? We're hauliers. So fundamentally, that has to change. And I think certainly for me and my clients, my customers, we look at. Um, we're very open, you know. This is the job you need doing. This is what the costs involved, implications are in that. Here it is. Um, you know, and if they're like, well, we need it for this, well, we can do that, but then you're going to be um, not, um, just had a cup of tea delivered, not, uh, you're going to get what you want, want to pay for. And I think by more close working with my customers, and for, for that, I mean, any, any customers, Shane, you know, get to know what they actually want, what they're looking to achieve. And that, again, is what we're trying to do. You know, my starting point is we can do anything. What do you actually want? What you actually want to pay for, you know, and I think that we need to look at mileages that are, you know, empty miles running that me and you have spoke about. There's a lot of that. There's still very much in our industry. Uh, oh, I'm not going to let him do that backloading case. He nicks that work, and you know, that surely has got to change in the future. And I don't know how that's going to change because it's been like that since time memorial. You know, there is a lot of empty running in the UK, as you know. We've tried different things to try and fix that. You know, so far what we've tried hasn't hasn't worked um, so we'll have to try something different but there are a lot of things that, that we've got to look at but I think fundamentally people in our industry the coal chain industry have got to return a profit else they won't be there yeah and I think I think there's one one other sort of dimension to this which I don't think that it's probably worth touching on it's a bit sort of more controversial so you don't say too much about it and the um, is is the framework behind some of this stuff. So we talked a bit about companies going bankrupt and stuff. And I think surely, you know, in a net zero world, companies that do the right thing can't be put at a disadvantage. 
So you want to be in a situation where if you are working day in, day out to, to, to do the right thing, you are staying alive through COVID, you are doing what you can to retain employees and provide good jobs, you are investing in the right kit and you are getting a, you're trying to run a profitable business in a kind of clear sense. You, you The businesses that don't do that can't, can't be part of a net zero sort of future. And how we sort of create this, the framework and the rules of the game that prevent that is probably a key part of it as well. Yeah, I think it is a key part. And, and I think it's, uh, it is the same, the, the, the strong will survive, the people that have invested will survive. Um, and I think that's, that's gone on since time immemorial. I think ha as legislation tightens on our industry and the demands on us to get to a net zero um, loom and get closer, ever closer, you know, we've got to be smart in what we do. We've got to, um, we've got to look at how we run our businesses and look at running running them differently for the future, for 2030, 2040, 2050. You know, we can't look back now. You know, it's we can only change what we do tomorrow. And I think that's important. The industry is at a change. Uh, and we've got to start to look forward at how we, the whole supply chain, how we deliver everything throughout the UK. Um, and that is fundamentally what we've got to do. We've got to have some visionary for what the next 20 years is going to look like because they are going to be much different to what the last 20 years look like you know we've not there's not been massive changes um telematics and things of that nature of changes that have come in in the last sort of 10 years that everybody relies on there's got to be much bigger changes coming you know for the whole distribution model for it to work to get to us to, to a net carbon zero which is where we all want to get to does that 20 year ambition excite you so you've, you've, you've got 30 years ish in your of, of experience already do you, do you do you sort of get excited about the idea of the next 20 years when you get up in the morning yeah um i don't think i'm going to be around for a, for a lot of them some people say they're quite surprised i'm still here now but it's <laughs> I, so for me it's investing the people in chilton um to be able to deliver that going forward um because having started the company way back when you know it, it's um it's a personable to me you know i want to see the Chilton name out there for the next 30 years in some way, shape or form and delivering the best of service and offering the customer the best value and being part of this net net zero mission. You know, we've we've all got to contribute to it, whether it's us at the real small end of the scale or the bigger guys. You know, there's got to be shared technology, shared experiences. It can't be, um, you know, like looking over the shoulder, cloak and dagger. You know, we've all got to work together uh, to get these deliverables and and make the uh, make the industry um, a net zero place. It's the only way it's going to work. Collaboration, Shane, is, is the word for me. It's got to be. That's a, that is a neat segue into my last sort of question to you, really. And obviously, you know, something you know, you and I met very, very very much at the start of when I was when I came into the cold chain, came to the cold chain federation in those early days. Um, and since that point, you've been incredibly supportive and generous with your time and and thinking to me and helping me and what, what we've been trying to achieve here was, as the Cold Chain Federation. How do you see our industry, our federation effectively, our, our trade body, playing a role in this in the years ahead? Well, I think it has a very important role to play to, uh, to bring everybody together. You know, our industry has been, uh, during my tenure, crying out for a, um, a federation that it can ask questions of, be guided by, and brought together by and I think that's what the Cold Federation brings us you know like-minded people sitting around a table and actually contributing uh, to a conversation and giving you the uh, the ammunition if you like then to lobby government and, and things of that nature that is the only way um, 
that, that we're going to make a difference as a, as a complete whole rather than all being individuals. And I know there's some big companies out there that carry a lot of clout. I get that. You know, and we want them to be part of the federation because we're going to rep represent those guys' interests as well, Shane, you know, and the small people are all the same. You know, we're all trying to push in the same direction. You know, we all need to uh, information share more. And I think the whole, the whole industry will then be a better place. You know, I think we need to have that coming together. And that's what the federation does for me. You know, I'm proud to be a part of it. Um, you know, I joined uh, when you joined, you know, I think, you know, you've, you've taken it to another level. Tim, the same. You know, we're now um, gaining ground. Obviously, things like COVID, when you get some crisis like that, it's great to have somewhere to go, you know, like the Cold Chain Federation. You know, we haven't had that historically. You know, and I think we're making massive steps. Are we there yet? No, we're not to where we want to be. We've got great ideas and um, where we want to be with the, with the Federation. Shane, but it's now it's much more uh, than what it used to be in terms of, you know, and I make no bones about it. And we said this when I uh, when you first came to see me, your question was, why are you in the uh, FSDF as it was then? And I said, well, I get a massive rebate on my electricity, Shane. Anything else? No, not really. Um, so it's not that anymore. You know, that still is an offering. I get that. Um, but, you know, we've got to be much more. We've got to appeal to the industry and offer them value. You know, I don't think people are looking for price so much anymore. They're looking for value. And the two things are fundamentally different, you know, and the Federation can offer its members value. Uh, and that's important. Cool. Thank you so much for your time. And thank you so much for being part of Cold Chain Live. Pleasure. Um, so it's been brilliant. So this, this is our sort of our third, um, our third interview. Um, if you're watching it live on the day we've released it, then there's a, there is a workshop session on Friday um, for you to take part in at 10.30. Um, where we've got great speakers, including um, Alan Hunt from Schmidt's Cargo Ball. So please, please, please tune into that. If you haven't uh, uh, had a chance to take part in any of our sessions live as they've happened, then they're all available for you to view back on our website um, and, and you can find them via social media. So please just take the time to take a look at some of the content we've been sharing throughout these last four weeks. I think we've really been providing some real thought-provoking stuff that will help you in, in your either your understanding of, our, of, of the cold chain or in understanding how um, it applies to your business. Thank you all very much. Um, and we look forward to, um, to, 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 to talking more. Thank you very much. Thank you.